Have you ever uh, had the experience where things just don't quite turn out like what you expected? Uh, we had uh, just, well, over a month ago now, our projector died all of a sudden. Uh, totally fried, couldn't get it. Had a plan, great plan, get TVs, get wireless broadcasters, it's all going to work. It's going to be perfect. Except it didn't work. Hasn't worked, isn't perfect. Life's like that sometimes. So we're working on it. And one of the things that I like to think about in life is that life is in progress. We're happening. We're on the way to perfection. We're on the way to glory. We're on the way to reunite with Jesus. But until then, we're in progress. And have you ever, while you've been in progress, ever been on an emotional roller coaster? You know, from hour to hour sometimes, especially when you're going through teenage stage, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. Or maybe when you, when you get a little older, maybe it's day to day or week by week. One thing goes amazing, and the next day it goes terribly. And you go up and you go down. And unfortunately, we'd love for life to go from good to great, to constantly be up and to the right, to constantly be getting better. That's what we all want. Unfortunately, that's not realistic, and that's not life. And so... When, uh, when I was in school, in Bible college, uh, I always had this thing where I would push really hard to the end. It would be the, the end of uh, the beginning of December, actually, usually is when the school would end. I'd push really hard. I'd do really well on my papers. I'd study hard, do my exams, and I'd look forward to the three weeks off. Oh, to be a college student again. And you get, you get this break, and I was so excited. I had a big plan for everything I was going to do, and I would get terribly sick almost every time. So I would go from this mountaintop of success, I do really well, and I would expect this mountaintop of uh, success just to keep going, and instead I would be creating a mountaintop of tissues. Instead of, instead of reaping in the fruits of my labor, I was drinking the fruit of chicken noodle soup. It was just an awful time, and it seemed to happen every time. And so maybe what does that look like for you? Maybe it wasn't uh, that you push through and then get sick. Maybe it's you're, you have a great success that happens. You have that child, that grandchild, that person that you've been waiting for, and they're finally born. They're finally here. Or maybe at your work you get promoted, you, you get uh, passed on, or maybe you hit that milestone of retirement and go, woohoo, I get to live the rest of my life not working for anybody. As if that was actually true. But, but we get whatever happens, and then uh, maybe life, we have this big plan, we have this great success, we have this awesome thing that's coming, and then all of a sudden we just hit the wall. We think that it's going to be this great success, we think it's going to be this awesome, awesome thing, and then all of a sudden we realize it just takes a dive for the worst. And so maybe you come to the end of yourself. You come to the end, you push so hard to the end that all of a sudden you hit that wall and you just get sick. All of a sudden you hit that wall and instead of enjoying that success, maybe you just feel empty inside. And I know that Christmas isn't always an easy time of the year for everybody. And that's why we're doing this series on some of the hard times of life. And that no matter what we are going through, no matter the difficulties, we have this great promise for those who have faith in Jesus that God is with us. And that comes out of Matthew 1.23. It says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what do you do when you are at the end of yourself? When you're at the end of your rope, you can't do anything. Who do you turn to when you can't take it anymore? Where do you turn when your knowledge 
your experience, your skills, everything that you can do, all of your energy is depleted. What do you do when you're just done? You reach that wall and you have no hope and no options. You, you think that it's just over. Well, last week we looked at uh, the valley, the metaphor of the valley. And the, the truth that we explored is that we enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we really get to know him in the valleys. So we enjoy when life is going great, when it's going awesome, but then when it's really hard, when it's, when it's just painful, when there's a season of hardship and pain, that's when we really get to know God intimately. And today we're talking about God in the wilderness. Now the wilderness is a metaphor for wandering, for desperation, for times when we're dried up. You can imagine a desert, when we're just at their ends. And there's something that's uh, about the human uh, condition that when we go through hard things, our resiliency is built up, that we actually get stronger. When we've gone through something that's difficult, that we get better. And that's what uh, going through the valleys is about. But going in the wilderness when is when you're pushed beyond your limits. You're pushed beyond what you can do and you're absolutely finished. And so we all experience up and downs in our lives. But when we experience the wilderness, when we're absolutely done, when we're pushed past our limits, they can actually be a gift from God. It can actually be an act of grace by God. So the wilderness times often follow times of mountaintop experiences. We've had something amazing, and then all of a sudden one more thing happens, and we're pushed beyond our limits. And the, the wilderness times are actually times when God prepares us for something even greater to come. And there's story after story about this in the Bible. The greatest example is Jesus. He's baptized. Uh, John the baptizer uh, meets his cousin Jesus and sees him coming and says, I can't baptize you. I'm not even worthy to to untie your sandals. But instead, he baptized Jesus. And then immediately, Jesus, at this beginning of his ministry, he's about to be public, go public. He's sent into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for 40 days. He's tempted He's, he's uh, fasted, so he's out of energy. He's tired. And the, the devil tempts him for 40 days straight. And so that's the preparation for his three years of public ministry. And then there's Saul, the uh, uh, better known later in the New Testament as the Apostle Paul. He was prideful, strong, and he was the persecutor of the early church. And he, on the road to Damascus, met Jesus powerfully in a shining light, And Jesus called him and said that he was to be his apostle. He was to follow him. And he was going to do great things. And you'd expect Paul, this amazing person, he was going to start his ministry right away. But that's not what God did. God sent him out in the wilderness for three years. And the interesting thing uh, about the apostle Paul is totally an aside. But uh, Jesus' other disciples, the other apostles, spent three years with him. And Paul's time was three years in the desert. So I think that was three years of God ministering to him and teaching him and, and breaking him from the prideful man to the man that we see when he comes back. He's changed. He's humble. And so then after that, uh, there are story after story of people that have gone in the wilderness. And we'll get to, uh, we'll get to Elijah. He's the one we're going to be looking at today. But what does your wilderness look like? What is your time of emptiness? Maybe a friend betrayed you. Maybe you hate your job. Maybe you're under financial strain and pressure. Maybe a spouse or a friend wasn't honest with you. Maybe there's an illness. Maybe there's someone who has let you down. 
whatever it looks like. We've all experienced wilderness. Some of our ex- us are experiencing them now. Some of us will experience them soon. But when you're left feeling empty and hurt and confused and wondering why it would be allowed to happen, just know this truth. When we are most empty is when God can fill us most fully. When we're broken is when God can heal us the most. So when we are empty of ourselves, when we realize we've hit that wall and I have nothing left, we have nothing left, that's when God can truly fill us up. And so the, uh, the great prophet of the Old Testament, Elijah, learned this. And God used him in a massive way. But then Elijah falls into desperation and depression. Elijah goes from this great mountaintop experience. Uh, Elijah, in the Old Testament, in uh, 1 Kings, he had a couple great miracles that he did. One is that he was just a simple man. He was just a man like, like you or I. He was just a person. And he came to the king of Israel who was not following God. He worshipped Baal along with his wife Jezebel. And uh, he came to him and said, because of your great sin and the great sin of Israel, it's not going to rain. And so there was a famine. The people experienced hardship. And for years it didn't rain. And then uh, Elijah uh, goes on and he uh, goes for a time away. He runs away and he has ravens that feed him and minister to him. And he has a stream that he drinks from until the drought that he prayed for causes him to run out of water. And he, uh, during this time of King Ahab trying to kill him, he raises a person from the dead. And then uh, he has this great massive showdown. He, uh, he challenges the 450 prophets of Baal that were uh, commissioned by the king and queen of Israel at that time and said, uh, I'll challenge you to see which God is real. And so he has them build an altar, and he builds an altar. And he, uh, the prophets of Baal try and call down fire and try and call down fire. It doesn't work, doesn't work. He starts making fun of them and says, maybe your prophet's sleeping. Cry louder, maybe you'll wake him up. Keeps going, keeps going, nothing happens. And then uh, to kind of add to the story, he gets the people to pour bucket after bucket of water on his altar. And he prays, and a giant fire comes down and burns up the altar, burns up the offering. It's totally done. And so you'd think, this great moment, this great victory, this great mountaintop, Elijah should have easy sailing from here on out. It should, he just proved in front of all of Israel that, uh, that his God is the true God. And he causes the people to go and kill all the prophets of Baal. So there's no more, there's no more false gods, there's no more false teaching. Great victory. What, what would we expect if we were in Elijah's, I just won. I just beat everybody. I'm, I'm going to be great from now on. And then he comes to King Ahab and to to even put another exclamation mark on it. He prays and rain comes and pours down. So the King Ahab, he should have been proven. He should have known. He should have followed after God and started worshiping God. But unfortunately, that's the way the movie would end. But life isn't like Hollywood movies. It doesn't have neat, tidy endings. So what actually happens is King Ahab goes back to his wife Jezebel and says, Do you believe what he just did? He just killed all of our prophets. And so Jezebel, enraged, sends him a letter and says, essentially, uh, by this time tomorrow, I will kill you. And if I don't kill you, then I'll die. One of us is going to die, and I'm going to make sure it's you. And so Elijah, when we pick up in our story in 1 Kings 19, 3 to 5, says this. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. Elijah, this man that had just called down fire, 
has uh, the queen say that, he's gonna, that she's going to kill him. And he says he's afraid and he ran away. And then when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Beersheba in Judah, uh, by this time the, the nation of Israel was divided. There was uh, Israel and there was Judah. And he should have been safe in Judah. In Judah, they, they worshipped God. They would have protected him. But for him, that wasn't long or far enough away. He keeps running, but he leaves his servants there. And then it, in verse 4, it says, While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and then he came to a broom brush, bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. You can handle a lot in life. There's a lot of things that you can take. But then when you reach your edge, that one little thing can push you over. You can handle so much until it's just that little bit too much. The straw that breaks the camel's back. Elijah had just faced off against prophets of Baal. He had just done so much. He had done miracle after miracle. And yet one little thing happens. One more thing happens. And he's done. And he, so he runs away. He flees. So we all have limits. And what do you do? when you hit your limit or when your strength is broken. So this should have been a time of victory for Elijah, but instead he's exhausted. Even beyond exhausted, he's absolutely depleted. He has nothing left. Maybe you can relate this morning. Maybe you're just, you're past your limit. You're just running on steam. You have nothing left. Maybe you're making ground financially, trying to pay off your debt, and all of a sudden your car breaks down. Maybe you're making progress in a relationship, a friend or a family member who uh, you are trying to, to tell them about Jesus and love them, and all of a sudden they break off communication. Maybe you're starting to recover from a physical ailment, an illness, and then all of a sudden your doctor tells you you have something else. Whatever you're going through this morning, there's something. Maybe you, you've hit something, you think you're doing well, and then all of a sudden one more thing happens and you're finished. When you're tired, not just tired, but depleted, what do you need most in that moment? When you're burned out, when you're worn out, you need rest. You don't need to keep pushing, you need rest. And physical rest and spiritual replenishment are what you need. And we can rest physically on our own. We can sleep at night. We can do that on our own. But we can't fill ourselves spiritually on our own. We can't give ourselves everything we need. So what do we do when we're worn out spiritually? There's a whole market of goods and services that are trying to promise to give you everything you need. You just need this, this one diet trick. You just need this one thing. You just need to buy this one thing and this will make your life better. You just need a, a bigger, better car. You just need a better house. That emptiness you're feeling, that, that hole inside your heart, you just need a little bit more, and that's how, what will fill you up. But that's not what it is. There are so many things that are promising to fulfill us, but the only one who can fill us fully is God. So when we're most empty is when God can fill us most fully. Psalm 23, a beautiful psalm of the Bible, says, The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He restores my soul. So when we're completely spent, 
when we have nothing left, what should we do? We should do what Elijah does. He comes to God empty. And notice what God doesn't do when he comes to him. God doesn't give him a pep talk. He doesn't preach a sermon. He doesn't rebuke Elijah and say, where's your faith? He doesn't ask him. He doesn't ask him what he, uh, he doesn't ask him what he's going to do next. God tells him to eat and to rest. In verses 5b to 6, it says, All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. God sent an angel to feed him. And so Elijah looks around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals. Mmm, fresh bread. And a jar of water. He ate and drank and laid down again. When I was, uh, when I was in Bible college, uh, one of my professors uh, named Gordon Franklin said, Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is have a nap. You're spent. You're done. There's the, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. But in the Adrian summary version, there's another two-word verse, uh, two verse, and it's Jesus napped. If you, if you read the Gospels about Jesus, one of the, the most amazing things besides the miracles is that he had time to nap. And sometimes he forced that time, even uh, to the point when they're on a boat and they're, they're in the middle of a storm. And he's napping so well that they had to shake him and yell at him to wake him up in the middle of a storm. So one of the realities is that we often think, and this is a difficulty for me, that I have so many things I need to do. I have so many things. I, if, I, if I have a few minutes, there's things that I could be working on. There's uh, stuff around the house that needs to get fixed. There's books on my shelf that I need to read. I have daughters I need to play with, a wife that I want to spend time with. But sometimes what I need most is just to take a nap. If the Son of God in his three years, his three limited years of earthly ministry had time to take a nap, I give you permission to take a nap. Not well. He, if you truly need it, find a pew and lay down. But that would be a good response to the message. My pastor told me I need to take a nap. So I'm taking a nap. Sometimes that's the most spiritual thing you can do. If you're spent, if you're done, why pretend? Rest. David wrote, be still and trust God. Be still and trust God. Now that's hard to do. Both parts. Being still for a person who likes to do things is hard, but trusting God. And it's realizing that even if I just put in five more minutes, maybe it'll be better. Maybe I just need to just take five minutes and just let God do it. So whatever, whatever you're going through, you can't pour out what God hasn't poured into you. If you're depleted, if you're spent, you have nothing left to give, then you have to be still and let God fill you up. Elijah was so empty that he came to God, just totally empty and broken, and God had to keep filling him up. And he had to fill him up so much, he, he, again, a second time, it says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb the mountain of God. Then he, there he went into a cave and spent the night. That's 1 Kings 19, 7 to 9a. 
So God feeds Elijah a second time. And then he gives him even more rest. He says, rest again. This is a sabbatical for Elijah. Elijah has just went through a crazy season. And God has allowed him to come out and to rest. God is the God of second chances. Elijah ran away fearful and afraid. And God doesn't condemn him for it. He gives him another chance. He gives him what he needs. He fills him up. And so Elijah is able to do a remarkable miracle after this. God just filled him up twice. He gave him fresh bread and fresh water twice. And on that, he's able to go through the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's able to be sustained just on the strength that God gave him. So it's seemingly the little bit of strength that God gave him was enough to do amazing things. And so uh, when he comes to... uh, he, when he comes to uh, the mountain of Horeb, God asks Elijah why he's there. God knows, but does Elijah? Does Elijah know why he's there? There's actually a really interesting principle that's at work uh, in our psychology, and that's speaking negative things out loud can actually help us if done in the right context. So if we're upset at someone or something, if we bring those to God and say them to him, it actually diminishes the negative feelings. They've done, uh, they've done um, psychological testing on people and brain scans uh, to try and see how people feel and what they're thinking. And if somebody says, I'm angry, just saying that actually lowers their anger. So Elijah comes to God and God asks him, Why are you here, Elijah? And he says, basically, Lord, I'm so angry. And it actually would help, it helps him feel better. And so God essentially is asking, what are you hoping to accomplish here? God knows, but he's helping Elijah figure it out. So in uh, 1 Kings 19, 9b to 10, it says, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah just laid his problems before God. He said, I feel like I'm the only one left in all of Israel who who follows after you. I think they've killed everyone else. They've torn down all their altars that people were supposed to worship you on. And now, even though I'm the only one left, and I've gone through all this amazing stuff, Now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah's saying, I'm done. I feel empty inside. Earlier on in in verse 4, he says, I just want to die. But he doesn't take his own life. He comes to God and says, I'm done. I just want to die. I just want it to be over. He feels so empty inside, even though he's done these amazing things. He's done these amazing miracles, and yet he feels completely alone. He's totally done. It's interesting where he comes to, though. He comes to the Mount Horeb. Uh, For those who are Greek or uh, Old Testament scholars or familiar with the Old Testament stories of what has happened, this is where Moses encountered God. This is where Moses got the Ten Commandments and where uh, Moses said that he wanted to see God's face. And God said, you can't see my face because you'll die, but you can see my back. You can see the back of my glory. So God tucks him in a cave. 
and then calls him out when, he, when it's time that he can see him. And so it's very likely that Elijah came to this same cave. He said, uh, my forefather Moses has met you here powerfully. And so he wants something of God. He wants to encounter God powerfully too. So now is when God fills Elijah's emptiness. Elijah needs to know that God is with him. He can face the world as long as he knows that God is with him. He knows that he can continue as long as God fills up his emptiness. He's at the end of himself, naturally. He's done everything he can do. He's finished, he's drained, he's burned out. He did his best and he no longer knows what to do. But like I've said already, and we'll say it again, when we are most empty is when God can fill us most fully. Elijah's broken. He's finished. He knows he can't do it on his own. Any pride, any uh, self-belief that he's amazing, that he's this awesome guy is finished. He knows he can't do it on his own. He knows he's not strong enough. And that's when God can use him most fully. So Elijah takes his needs to God. And now let's see what God does with it. In 19, 1 Kings 19, 11 to 12, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a powerful and great wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. In other translations, it says, a still, small voice. So the wind, the wind is a powerful force, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. The earthquake, a shaking of the ground, the Lord is not in there. A fire, it consumes, it burns, it purifies, but the Lord was not in that fire. God is not in any of that. God wasn't in that remarkable. And it's not to say that God can't show up in those things, but that's not how he showed to sh or chose to show up to Elijah. Instead of showing up in the remarkable, God chose to show up to him in the ordinary. In a small voice, God was in a whisper. You know, when we're overwhelmed by stress, by anxiety, by worry, by fear, it often seems that God's voice is so quiet, we can barely hear it. When we're going through hardships, why doesn't he speak to us in spectacular and powerful ways? I know I've prayed that prayer when I'm going through something hard, to say, God, show up, like, speak powerfully. I want to know, say so clearly, give me a sign, give me something, give me a vocal word, give me something. And yet, it feels like God doesn't speak loudly in those times. And we ask ourselves, if he wants me to know him, to experience him, to trust him, then why does he whisper? Why doesn't he speak loudly? And then one of the reasons that he whispers is because he's actually always close to us. You know, the enemy, the enemy shouts lies. But God whispers truth. Our inadequacies, our fears, our hurts, our failures, our shortcomings, all these things seem to yell at us. But yet God whispers in the still small voice, I love you. 
I love you. I love you. These whisper uh, drives us to intimacy with God. Which is actually our greatest need, is intimacy with God. But we mask it with all sorts of sins. We mask that hole that we have for a relationship with God with all sorts of sins. With greed, with lust, with pride, with envy, with all of these things. We think, I just want a little bit more. I need a little bit more recognition. I need this. I need that. I need that. When all we truly need is closer relationship with God. You know, uh, the analogy of the whisper is an amazing thing. And I was thinking this week about the way God chooses to speak in a whisper. And I thought about it. And when I really want to tell uh, Liberty something important, if she's playing, I don't yell at her and say, stop, come over here right now. Instead, what I do is say, I have something really important to tell you. And I don't interrupt. I just wait for her to come over to me. And she's usually curious, so she'll come over in a little bit when she's done. But she'll come over, and I'll say, I have something really important to tell you. She'll come over, and then I'll, she'll say, what? And I'll pull her onto my lap, I'll lean close to her ear, and I'll tell her that no matter what she does, no matter what she doesn't do, no matter the mistakes she makes, no matter the choices she makes, that she can never stop being loved by me. That I will love her no matter what she does or doesn't do. And that she is special and that she is cared for. And that no matter how much I love her, there's someone who loves her even more. And that's Jesus. Now, the reason I share that is because God wants to do that for each one of us. God whispers because he wants you to get close to him. And say, tell me again, Father. What is it you like about me? Tell me again, Father, what it is you love about me. Tell me again, Father, what I need. So when we're going through these hardships, when we're going through hard, difficult things, with these seasons of wilderness, when we're finished, when we're dried up, when we're hurt, there's a beautiful promise that we can lean on. In Psalm 34, 18, it says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. How's your spirit this morning? Are you flying like the wings of eagles? I would hope that would be true for all of us. But if you feel crushed, then lean on the Lord. So where do you turn when you hit the wall? Do you have a friend? Do you have a confidant? God can often speak through those friends who are close to us. I have a a friend south of Leduc that I call fairly regularly and we uh, share our regrets and our joys and everything together but uh, the most beautiful times that I have when I'm crushed when I'm hurt when I'm sad is those times of quiet prayer to God because that's when I truly feel filled up so where do you turn when you feel empty I hope that you turn to Jesus only he can give you what you truly need he'll fill you up with his love he'll whisper to you that he loves you that he cares for you that there's nothing that you can do to make him stop loving you. God is always close to us. We just have to recognize it. And in Psalm 139, 7-10, another beautiful psalm. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, 
If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. There's nowhere that we can go to escape the love of God. You know, the, um, in the Apostles' Creed, it says that uh, uh, Christ descended into hell. In some of the older versions, it says Hades. There is the beautiful thing, a truth about that, that no matter where you are in life, no matter where you are in your brokenness, in your sin, in your holiness, anywhere, there's nowhere too high that you can go or too low that you could go that God isn't there waiting for you, ready for you, to love you, to forgive you, to provide all you need. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in the wilderness with God than on the mountaintops without him. I'd rather be in a hard place than have victory but not have a relationship with him. Because when we're most empty, that's when God can fill us most fully. Now, I can look back on some of the hard seasons of my life, and in retrospect, I can see God's hand at work. And while I don't get excited about another season like that again, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. There was a, a season that I went through when I broke my leg, and uh, God used that opportunity to break a lot of uh, self-righteousness in me, a lot of independence, sinful independence, thinking that I could do everything on my own. I had to humbly accept help of other people. I had to let people pay other people to, to uh, shovel my driveway because my poor little wife couldn't do it. Uh, it was Edmonton, not Penticton, so, you know, snow like this. But uh, I had to allow people to help me, and I had to ask for help, which is hard. But through that time, I could look back and see God's intimacy with me. So what is the Lord speaking to you this morning? What are you experiencing in your life that you need God to fill you up? You know, when we're full of ourselves, when we think that we're really great, you know, we're something really special, when we're full of our own things, it's really hard for God to fill us up because he doesn't force us to follow him. In that still, small voice, he says, come and follow me. He says, exchange all your brokenness, exchange all your hurt, and I'll fill you up. His Holy Spirit will move powerfully within you and through you. And he will actually fill you up to overflow when you surrender to him. When you bring him your brokenness, he'll repair you and restore you. You bring him your emptiness and he'll fill you up to overflow. If you bring him your problems, he will give you the strength to power through them. So if you're in the wilderness this morning, do not give up hope. Give yourself to God and allow him to give you the rest and restoration of your soul that you need. Now this morning, I want to respond with a time of prayer. I've had a request uh, from Elaine Dumont uh, to pray for her. Um, she's having difficulties with cancer and uh, years ago the doctor only gave her three to six months to live. And it's been years. So this morning she wants us to pray to bring the... Uh, the elders of the church around her, as the, the Bible says, and to anoint her with oil and to pray the prayer of faith and for healing. And so uh, this morning we're going to do that. Uh, so I'd like to ask the, uh, the board members to come forward and to pray with me. And I'd like the worship team to come up and to, to play the song. But 
uh, play the next worship song just kind of quietly. But uh, we're going to pray together. And so uh, I'll, I'll lead us in, in corporate prayer uh, at the end uh, of this. But uh, yeah, if there's any of you here this morning that need healing or need prayer or need uh, something, uh, I truly believe in the priesthood of all believers. So I may be the pastor of the church and I may have the role of doing uh, ministry and leading others in ministry, but we are all in this together. So I would ask you, if you need uh, prayer for something this morning, to turn to somebody beside you, somebody nearby, find a friend, find a family member, find someone maybe you don't even know, and share your prayer needs with them, and they will pray with you this morning. Please join me in prayer. O root of Jesse, standing as a sign among the peoples, before you kings will shut their mouths. To you the nations will shut their mouths. To you the nations will make their prayer. Come and deliver us. Please delay no longer. O key of David and scepter of the house of Israel, you open and no one can shut. You shut and no one can open. Come and lead us, the prisoners from the prison house, those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. And healer, we have been praying for, we have been praying for healing. And uh, there is a list of prayer needs in the back of our bulletin, Lord. We are a people in need of your help and in need of your healing touch. Please fulfill our spiritual, emotional, physical, psychological needs, Lord. You are not a God of uh, shortcomings. You are a God that can do anything beyond our imagination. But Lord, you are God and we are not. So we pray that your will would be done, not ours. We pray that you would give us the grace that we need to take whatever it comes. But uh, please help us to be faithful in prayer, to be faithful in lifting these others up, to be faithful in interceding on their behalf, and so, Father, we commit ourselves to you, that we would be a church of prayer warriors, that we would be a people of encountering you, of seeking you in the stillness. So I thank you, Jesus, for what you are doing. I pray that your words uh, that you have spoken today would have been heard by us, and that you would use them to build us up and to break down walls of resistance to your Holy Spirit's guiding. We glorify you, King Jesus, and say, holy is your name. Amen.